This is Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. On the phone, we have a two-time NBA MVP, 11-time All-Star. I'm going to say one of the three greatest players in NBA history, Bob Pettit. How are you doing, Mr. Pettit? I'm um, great, thank you. I'm looking at your college career. When I think of LSU, I'm thinking of Shaquille O'Neal, but you were Mr. LSU back in the 50s. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I uh, played fairly well. We had a good team. We uh, went to the Final Four my junior year in college, got beat by Indiana, as I recall, who went on to become the eventual champions, and uh, had a good career. Went on and uh, graduated from LSU in 1954. And, you know, LSU was a great education, a great place for me to go. But back in high school, you got cut from your high school team a couple times, right? Well, let me just say, let me put it this way. My freshman year in high school, I went out for basketball, and I was the last man on the junior team. And I say that because the bus broke down one time, and we had to go in cars, and it didn't have room for everybody. It had room for everybody but one person, and I was the one person they didn't have room for. <laughs> so I assumed that from that point in time that I was the last man on the junior team. I went back out as a sophomore in high school and got cut from the team as a sophomore. So my uh, beginning basketball career in high school was not that uh, auspicious a start. It sounds like a guy here in Chicago got cut from his high school little team. Michael Jordan went on to become one of the greatest players in NBA history. Yeah, they, uh, you know, they, 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 there were a lot of great players that have had a very difficult time getting started, and that ought to be uh, a pretty good inspiration for young players who have a difficult time getting started because in many cases it's not a bad thing. And the reason I say that is if you are determined and you have the mindset that forces you to to work that much harder to get the talent and the ability to play. And and once you start getting your coordination and your growth and, and things, then all that hard work you, you put in uh, pays great dividends. And that was the way with me. Uh, you know, I went out, my parents, I put a light in my window in the back bedroom and had a goal out in the backyard and would go out at night and shoot for a couple of hours. Why? I was determined to, to be a basketball player. Why was that? Because I that was the best chance I had to win a letter in high school, I thought. So I was determined to win a letter, and I was determined that basketball was the best way for me to do that. And so I worked like a dog, practicing and hour after hour after hour. And it, you know, and then when I started growing and I started getting the coordination and everything, then I was pretty far advanced compared to a lot of guys. Did you give your girlfriend your Letterman's jacket in high school, or you kept it? <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't part with that, that letter jacket for anything. In fact, ironically, you should say that, I gave it to the high school about two years ago. I had it in the closet somewhere, and I gave it to them, to uh, my first letter at Baton Rouge High. <laughs> now, did height run in your family? I mean, 6'9". Yeah, my family's tall. My father was 6'4". My mother was about 5'10", and then she had four brothers that were all over six feet, well over six feet. So, you know, I got it from both sides, and I just, uh, you know, it concentrated in me. And actually, I last time I'm really measured, I was six eight and a quarter. My wife one time said, "Okay, enough of this foolishness. Up against a wall, and let's find out." And it was turned out to be in bare stocking feet, six eight and a quarter. <laughs> But they always took those statistics and made everybody a little bit taller and a little bit heavier. And oh, sure, that's part of it. But that's okay. That's close enough for government work. I'm, uh, you know, six nine is what I was listed at as you know in college and in the NBA. Now your transition from LSU to the Milwaukee Hawks 
was it difficult for you? I mean, it seemed it looks like it was pretty easy. Well, the reason it would look like it was pretty easy was because they had nobody else to play. And I had I played the Milwaukee Hawks were in 1954 were a very poor basketball team, and being the first round draft choice, uh, I played every minute of every game, no matter how I played. If I'd have gone with the Minneapolis Lakers in those days or uh, another team, a better team, then I wouldn't have gotten that education that fast because they would have, you know, started playing me three minutes here and five minutes there. Well, with the Milwaukee Hawks, I played. The full game every night, no matter how well I played or how poorly I played. And my coach my first year was Red Holzman, who uh, many people remember as the great coach of the New York Knicks. But uh, Red <laughs> Red was our coach in Milwaukee, and uh, he wouldn't get into the Hall of Fame because of that Milwaukee team, I guarantee you that. Uh, but he took one look at me and watched me, and he says, uh, and I was a center in college, and he said, Bob, get out, you're a forward. We had a big center, Charlie Shear, who was at a, you know, was a really big, strong, competitive center who really had a good career. Charlie was our center, and he said, you, you're a forward. You go outside and start playing. And, of course, basically I learned by trial and error. You know, they, uh, and that's the huge difference to me between basketball now and basketball what it was 50 years ago. Coming uh, in high school, I had no summer leagues, I had no coaching, I had no AAU teams, I had no all-star games, I had nothing. Uh, everything I learned basically, and, and this is basically I learned by trial and error. And that's pretty, you know, that's not a very good, uh, my high school basketball coach was assistant football coach. And so he didn't come out for basketball probably until December 15th, and we've been playing games before then. So I lived, I learned by trial and error. Unfortunately, I, you know, I learned enough to, to, uh, to, to, to take it, you know, step by step and get my letter by the time I was a junior in high school and get a college scholarship. And I went to college, and I had a good teacher in college, and a man named John Chaney. John was uh, had played a few years with the Syracuse Nationals, so he had had a professional career, and he he really was a, a help for me learning to play the pivot. So I uh, did get some help there, but my high school was just uh, trial and error. When you played the Lakers, who were you going up against? Uh, Vern Mickelson and yes. Pollard. Yes, exactly right. That was my first year. We played in a, they uh, as, as Mike and had retired. Um, as I recall, and Vern Mickelson, and I think Clyde Lavellet was the center on uh, on the Lakers in those days. If, mm-hmm. And they had uh, Mickelson Pollard and uh, Slater Martin, and I think the other forward was Whitey Skoog, I think was uh, the Lakers' other guard. So, yes, that was their team, and they were still a very, very fine basketball team, even without liking. And then uh, Slater and Clyde ended up as teammates of, of the right. St. Louis. That's correct. Slater Slater was a great piece uh, in our St. Louis uh, rise to being a, a, a powerful team in the NBA. We needed uh, we needed a Slater Martin, and Ben Kerner went out and worked a three way trade, as I recall, with the Knicks and the Lakers and St. Louis and Willie Knowles, who had a great career with the Knicks. Uh, Willie Knowles was involved in that trade, and uh, we wound up with Slater as our point guard, as you would call him today, and. He was an incredibly valuable part of our team, and he ran the team. Uh, you know, he, he he could bring the ball up the court on no matter what uh, press was. And he was laughing. Uh, I had a conversation with Bob Cousy about a week ago, 
and uh, I've been in Houston for a while, and I've seen a lot of Slater in the last couple of months. And I told Bob that, uh, well, I, I saw an old friend of yours. I had done it with him the other night, and Slater Martin. And, and Bob started laughing. He said, "Man, I had nightmares about him." He said he was uh, all in, all in my, you know, my game. It was every time I turned around, there was Slater playing me on defense, and he was probably the best defensive player that ever played me. This is Kuzi saying that, who you know is a pretty good authority on. On, uh, on basketball, so uh, Slater was a valuable addition to our team, and we were able to, to with him with him coming, we were able to take it and went on and played the Celtics four times in the championship series uh, in the in those late fifties and early sixties years, and uh, didn't do real well. We beat them once and lost three, but um, you know they probably were the greatest team that's ever been assembled in basketball. Did you ever think to yourself that? The Hawks had not traded Bill Russell for McCauley. You got you and Russell would have been phenomenal and won probably eight, nine championships together. Yes, I, you know we don't think about it a lot, but yes, I have thought about it. And and Bill would have been a you know obviously in my mind, Bill Russell's the greatest player that ever walked on the court. Now in Chicago, you know you're going to say Michael Jordan, and you should. You know he was a phenomenal player, also. I just didn't play against Michael Jordan, and so I don't know how, you know, from watching, I know how great he was. But in my mind, uh, if I had to start a team of all the players that ever played, and they were all in their prime, I'd pick Bill Russell. He was that dominant a player. And, uh, you know, it's amazing to think a man that concentrated on defense and rebounding like he did could be that that valuable, but he was. And uh, he would have been, a, you know, would he be a great addition to St. Louis? Absolutely. But we got two Hall of Fame basketball players for the rights. You know, people, maybe a lot of people don't remember, but we had the second pick in the draft that year, and the first pick was by Rochester, the Rochester Royals, so there was no guarantee that Russell would be available uh, when the time came for us to pick the second pick. Uh, it turned out that Rochester took Cy Hugo Green as the first pick, leaving Russell available for Boston, who now had our second pick. But there was no guarantees that uh, Russell would even been available. And, and as I started to say, we got two Hall of Fame players in Hagen, Cliff Hagen, and Ed McCauley. So you know, it was uh, it was a pretty good trade for both teams. Yeah. And you eventually ended up with Cy uh, Hugo Green on the Hawks as well. Yes, we did. We ended up Cy Hugo wound up uh, on the Hawks. Yeah. Now what? We had a lot of players come through St. Louis. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, Ben Kerner was unhappy. We lost a game. He was looking around to to see who he could trade for. <laughs> yeah. Now the the best hook shot I ever saw was Cliff Hagen. Was there was there a better hook shot player? Oh, I think not really. I think Cliff had the the, the best form of any hook shot shooter I've ever seen. Uh, it was incredible, either left or right handed, and. Uh, it was a beautiful thing, and if you had to have a player to watch a, a video of somebody shooting a hook, I'd pick Cliff. He was he was it, he was that good. It, it was a, an incredible shot, and he had great form and was very deadly with it. If you were to put together the top five players of all time in every position, do you have a team you'd like your dream team? No, you know I, I'm not. Uh, I, I, I really am. Don't. I, I'm just telling you, as I said earlier, Bill Russell would be my center. But, you know, and people often ask me, let me kind of answer you this way. People often ask me, uh, could the players of my era, how would they do and uh, in, in, in the game today? And I will tell you, I, I defy anybody to tell me two better centers than Will Chamberlain and, and Bill Russell. Uh, of course, Kareem, you know, would, 
you would have a great argument with Kareem because uh, he was such a sensational player. But, you know, Russell and Chamberlain, you had Elgin Baylor, Oscar Robertson, Jerry West. I mean, you had players there that could play anytime, anywhere, and be superstars. So, um, you know, it was a it was a it was a good era, era in basketball. We had only eight teams in the NBA when I came in it, and the, the talent was concentrated on those eight teams. And you had to play. You know, we we didn't play the Celtics once or twice a year. We played them probably eight times during the regular season, and then if we got to the playoffs, we played them another six or seven. So. Um, you know, it was uh, it was a, it was a good time to play. I remember the broadcaster Buddy Blattner calling you Big Blue for uh, I believe it was a, a blue cashmere top coat that you had. Had you ever had you ever seen snow before you came to St. Louis? <laughs> well, you say cashmere. I appreciate that very much, but it was it was not cashmere. It was just an old okay. wool wool blue okay. overcoat. And I got it. Milwaukee winters were so cold for me coming from the south and from Louisiana that I had to get a heavy coat to walk around in. And I got this big old blue overcoat, and I kept it. You know, you didn't make a lot of money, so you didn't, you know, you didn't shell off a coat and get rid of it right away. You had to wear it out, and uh, that's what it was. It was a big blue overcoat. But it was great with you know making the fans uh, identify with the players. Like Cliff Hagen was Little Abner. That sort right. of thing, and so he had them for everybody. Because Elliot remembers you. I'm only 40. Elliot grew up in St. Louis and watched those teams. I watched you play at Peel Auditorium. I think I always also got to see you play at a much smaller venue at Washington University. I, yes, you know, we played at Washington. And, and they had to open the doors because it was so hot. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember that. I remember it was pretty warm, but I didn't remember that yeah, part of it. It was pretty warm. I mean, it's a 4,000 seat arena. I can't imagine an NBA game being played in anything that small nowadays. No, uh, you, you can't. In those days, Keel Auditorium was uh, was not available. They had, uh, you know, had some other ice capade or something else was using it during the playoffs that year, and uh, we couldn't get the arena out, uh, which seated about 16,000. So. Uh, you know, so we got to Washington University, and, and I remember it very well. I remember I, I played with a cast in that playoff series. I'd broken my left hand and played the series with a cast on. So uh, I remember Washington U very well. I remember we won the series, I think, against Fort Wayne and threw Marty Blake uh, into the swimming pool at Washington yeah. U. And, uh, it is yep. all of it, his suit and all of his clothes. Yeah, the only problem was he couldn't swim. Well, he, he couldn't sink either. <laughs> well, I, that's he true. floated. I'll assure you. <laughs> he would tell you the story that he was going to sink because he had all the the coins from the sale of the programs right, in his right, pocket. Right. What was your favorite moment in the NBA? Oh, it, it'd have to be 1958 when we won the championship that year. That was uh, had to be my favorite uh, uh, time in the NBA. My favorite game and everything. That was a highlight of a career for me. That. Uh, that that series against the Celtics that we won the championship. You know, you you think back, and then if you'd asked me, was that going to be the only championship we'd won at St. Louis, I would have said, well, certainly not. I thought we had a team that could win two or three championships, but it turned out that that was the only one, and, um, you know, it's have to be the highlight of anybody's career, and particularly mine. Now, I recall a season where you broke your right wrist and you were shooting left-handed. Does that sound correct? No, I never. I broke my left wrist twice two straight years and played with a cast on my left hand okay. right away. I never had a cast on my right hand, but I'll tell you, I think that was Dolph Shays. 
And I think Dolph, that's why he had developed a left-handed shot because his right hand was, he'd broken it and uh, he became proficient in either hand. And I think that was the thing that uh, that, that taught him okay. to shoot left-handed. Who gave you the most trouble defensively? Oh, I, I don't know. I would say, you know, even though he he didn't play me, I would say Russell was the one that you worried about mostly on defense because, you know, you could I could pretty well get by anybody that played me. Uh, but once you got by them uh, and going to the basket, you better know where Bill Russell was or else, you know, you'd never get your shot off. I don't care how much you faked and fainted and did all that. Uh, he wasn't going to go for it. He'd just wait and block your shot. So I would say overall defensively, he he would have to be the man, even though he he wasn't particularly playing me. If you were playing today, you'd probably have to put on about fifty pounds from what you played back. Uh, I have to put on fifty pounds. Is that what you said? Uh, No, I I wouldn't put on. I I put on. I was I think the first basketball player to ever start on weights and lifted. And I went to NBA. I was about two hundred and ten pounds and six nine. Uh, and I got lifting weights and exercising, and I went up to 245, and I finished my career at 245. So I would say if I was playing today, I'd probably play at 260. Yeah, easily 260. But I don't think I'd need 50 pounds, but I would have I would have thought just, 15 pounds would have been a – if I could have added muscle, 15 pounds, that would have been very adequate. Yeah, I just remember this tall, thin guy who could shoot a jump shot like nobody else I had seen. Well, I was tall and skinny, that's for sure. Yeah. What do you think of today's game? Is there a player you really like? Well, I enjoy today's game. You know, I've been watching lately. I watched the last couple of nights. I've been watching Miami, and I think they played Orlando. And, uh, you know, I enjoy I enjoy it. I don't have any particular player I relate to, but uh, I enjoy watching it, especially when it's the Miami and the Orlandos and the Lakers and that uh, are playing. I kind of will sit down and watch that. Was there one player that gave you the most trouble to guard? Well, it was some. You know, most teams had one uh, forward that uh, was a very good defensive player. I remember in our early days, Mel Hutchins. I thought maybe it's a name you might not remember, but sure, was very good. Did a really good job on defense on me. And then Tom Sanders uh, with the, with the Celtics was a, an excellent defensive player. So I would say those two probably over my career probably was good as anybody that played me. Except Tom Sanders had Russell behind him. Yeah, that always makes it a lot. <laughs> he could gamble and do all he wanted, and yeah. Bill was that take uh, pick up for him. I see they named a street after you. So did you charge uh, a fee to use the street? Or no, I don't think so. <laughs> That's where all the churches are in Baton Rouge. Yeah. You know, it used to be that I'm joking when I say that. It used to be every time an LSU football player got in a fight or something at some bar, it was on Bob Pettit Boulevard. <laughs> I said, "Oh my goodness, I don't need that." Elliot, we had your childhood idol on. What did you think of Bob Pettit? Oh, I, I thought you were talking about Lisa. <laughs> uh, he he was phenomenal. I mean, uh, he's a great ball player. Sounds like he could be an NBA analyst on for some team if they wanted him. He's still got all his marbles. Not yeah. like us. Uh, we lost those a long time. If we ever had them, we lost them a long time ago. We want to thank all our guests today, Denny Crum, Bob Pettit, and the beautiful Lisa Sonnenberg. Thank you. Thank you. Mrs. Illinois. My pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to Sports and Torts. Tune in again next week. Thank you. <laughs>